Hey, it's Clark. Before we get into today's podcast, I wanted to give you a heads up that producers Kim and Joel are on vacation this week. And so we are going back to our old format of you hearing calls instead of Kim and Joel asking the questions that you have posted for us for the show. So as soon as they're back, we'll go back to Kim and Joel being the ones asking questions you post at clark.com slash ask. And I am hoping so much that school districts around the country and private schools and religious schools around the country wait before they make a decision about whether kids will go back in the classroom, depending on where you live in the country, August or September, for the fall semester. It is my strong belief that we need to get the elementary, middle, and high school students back into the classroom in the fall. But I know that from a public health standpoint, there are people who worry a lot about that creating super spreader events of coronavirus. So one thing that I think we can watch over the next time period is schools in Europe tend to get out much later than schools normally would in the United States. And schools in many countries in Europe have either reopened or are about to. And so we're going to get a sense from some of the countries in Europe that have had really uh, severe outbreaks of coronavirus with tragic loss of life, we're going to see if reopening the schools ends up bringing another wave or if we're okay with how that proceeds. Now, I can tell you that we've got two issues here, and that is that there are a lot of people who either are low income or live in rural areas, and in rural areas they could be both living in a rural area and low income or just living in a rural area where they have no internet access. In urban areas, generally, it's a financial thing to have no effective internet access. And so in a lot of schools, a great number of kids' education ended the second kids were sent home to finish the school year. We can't have people falling behind this way, so we've got to come up with whatever procedure we can to reopen safely in the fall so that kids don't fall behind. And I can tell you from my own uh, kids, there's such a loss to them not being with their peers. And so getting them back in the classroom becomes very important. So let's say in Europe, they do have a problem with outbreaks. Does that mean we just throw up our hands and don't have the kids go back in the classroom in the fall? I would say no. I think what we'd have to do is come up with a public health protocol for 100% temperature checks each day at school. And a kid who has a fever is sent home. And we consider doing randomized testing for staff, faculty, and students arriving at schools so that we can keep the environments as safe as possible. You know, part of what we've got to do till we are able to kill off coronavirus 
is we're going to have to engage in what is referred to as disease management. And we can't leave people locked up forever. And a lot of parents can't go back to work if the kids are at home and not in school. So there are so many reasons, the psychological thing for kids, the practical of them being able to learn, the important economic signal that we send if parents are able to go back to work. All of these things need to be factored in to have our focus be, let's get the kids back in the classroom. Michael's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michael. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Michael. You got a question for me about what's known as socially responsible investing. Yes, um, I was just wondering, There's, uh, I'm in the process of looking into opening a Roth IRA, and um, I was wondering, um, with the exchange-traded funds, they're called ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Exchange-Traded Funds, I was just wondering if that's something that would be good to do to save for retirement. So normally I would not recommend socially responsible investing as part of the diversification I'd want you to have in a Roth IRA. But I want to talk about this two ways, okay? I'm going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, which you have to do when you talk about socially responsible investing. Okay. For efficiency for your Roth IRA, your best use of money is to go into a target retirement fund unless you want to actively manage your Roth. In a target retirement fund, there's a mix based on the year you estimate you're going to retire that continually changes through the years to give you the most cost-efficient diversification of your money you can have, and it puts your investing on automatic pilot. If you start getting into exchange-traded funds, and in this case doing an ETF, and I should say to you, some socially responsible funds are very, very costly. You pay much higher annual management fees with others. What kind of management fee does the fund have you're looking at? I'll be quite honest, I'm not really sure. All right. I want you to find that out because you want to try to keep your expense ratios down as low as possible. And with a lot of the socially responsible, you're paying as much as 20 times what you have to in an index fund or about five to 10 times what you would have to in a target retirement fund for expenses. So if you find a socially responsible fund like Vanguard has one that the expense ratio on it is 0.12 of 1%, which is like nothing. That's almost free investing. So if you wanted to do that, you could, but just know you're not going to have going into one of these near the kind of uh, spreading out of your money that I want you to have for retirement. Okay, because those are the exactly the ones that I was looking at, the ones through uh, Vanguard. Oh, um, okay. So, so yeah, th- those were the ones I was looking at. Um, but so then I it's w- more a question of how important is this to you? You'll pinch your return over the years some when you eliminate what are often referred to as send stocks or whatever, when you cut those out of your portfolio, it will reduce how diversified your portfolio is and somewhat reduce your return. You also 
will have more of a what's known as static investment profile rather than how it will change as you get closer to retirement. So I would want you to manage it more closely. But if it's really important for you, you know, not to not to have tobacco companies in there or not to have um, you know, socially responsible it can be fi- defined a bunch of different ways. It could be coal companies or potentially oil companies or whatever it is that are the companies that your conscience doesn't want you investing with. If that's a high priority for you, you could do a lot worse than doing it with the Vanguard. In fact, that's probably the lowest cost anybody offers of a socially responsible fund. Tim's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Tim, congratulations to you as a new dad. Thank you, Clark. Appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Tell me all about it. Do you have boy or girl? We had a little boy. And has your son learned to sleep yet, or is your son making your life difficult? Well, we're working on that right now. Okay. All right. Um, What's your son's name? uh, Weston. And how can I be of help with Weston? Well, um, my wife and I decided that she's going to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, She went back to work for about a month, and today is actually her last day at work. And um, in order to, I guess, make it financially, you know, and and looking at the cost of of daycare, you know, that was one of the reasons we decided for her to stay at home. And just wondering what your thoughts on, um, you know, covering that, that income gap would be, you know, reducing the amount that I'm contributing to my retirement plans. And I guess I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on doing that. All right. Well, let's first talk on the income side, and then we'll talk about expenses. Uh, it's not an all or nothing, Tim, with your wife going from what was a full-time job where this just isn't working to not working at all. Does she have a specific skill and experience level based on what she's done in a job? I would say no. I mean, she could go work at a, a lot of different places, um, but there's nothing specific that that really, I guess, sets her apart from from anybody else. Because as an example, where she was working, is there anything that she could do for them extremely part-time from your home that would bring in some income that would still give her the flexibility of being at home with your young son and bring in a little income? Well, we... we actually talked to them about that and they're just she's um, she's in finance um, and banking and and there just wasn't any opportunities like that they invited her to come back once you know she wants to re-enter the, the workforce but they just don't have any positions like that available right now all right and you said you said something key there her expertise is in finance and banking is that right yes correct um, I wonder if there's op- anything opening, go ahead opening new lines of credit you know helping out with people that come into a financial and are looking to open up accounts and take out lines of credit and stuff. Well, I mean, that's an area where there's all these online lenders now. Maybe there's something she can do part-time with one of the online lenders that have become prominent. I know right now she's just exhausted, and you are too with a newborn, but I love the idea of her staying in the game just a little bit and bringing in income just a little bit. And if she was working 10 to 15 hours a week and working from home doing that, 
it deals with a lot of the cost squeeze because you don't have the daycare costs. But right. it deals with some of the loss of income. So a little bit of her staying active in the workplace and bringing in income, be creative on that because that's where I'd really like you to look. I mean, okay. when you start looking at the other side, what do you do on the expense side? You have to, if you need to, you might need to take a hatchet to some of the expenses you have in your life. If you do attack the contribution to retirement accounts, do you get any match where you work? I do not. I'm in law enforcement, so I, I have a state pension. Okay. And I also uh, contribute to a 457 and a Roth IRA. Um, so, so the 457, the- you might have to can that for now, right? And that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, about. if you um, if you have to do that, you have to do that for now. But I love the idea of her staying active, solving two problems, keeping her on an experience line, and also bringing in some income along the way, very part time. And that's where I think the real answer is. And for you and law enforcement, please stay safe out there. Jennifer joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jennifer. How you doing? Hi, Clark. Thanks for having me on the show. Certainly. Jennifer, you're getting some unwelcome calls. Tell me about that. Yes. So in about the past three months, I've been getting a lot of calls from uh, credit collection agencies. Um, However, they are for my ex-husband. And um, it turns out one of them told me that my phone number is on his credit report. And I checked my own credit report, and his old phone numbers do indeed appear on my report. So I was able to clear those by disputing them. But then I asked how to get my numbers off of his report, and they, of course, said for privacy reasons, I can't do anything about his report. And I was wondering if there was some way to get those off of his report. Only if he would remove them. Only if he would tell the credit bureau that there's an error on his report. But he's not going to do that. I get get the drill. All right. So I need to ask you something. When the collection agencies call, do they tell you that they're calling for him? Do they ask for him at your number? Yes, they immediately ask for him. They don't even ask for my name. They are asking for him. And do they say this is this call is in reference to a collection of a debt, or they call it say they were trying to reach him about a personal matter, or how do they put it? Um, different ways. Uh, a personal matter, collection. I, I think I've heard you know probably three or four different ways that they phrase it. Because uh, technically, technically under the law, they are not supposed to say to you as a third party, that they're calling about a debt. They can say they're calling about a business matter, a personal matter, uh, a private matter, a confidential matter. Those are all phrases that collectors use, but you know their collection agency is calling, I can tell, from from the nature of the calls. One specifically said it was about student loans. Okay, which they should not have done. All right, so all you can do for now is don't answer any call unless it's from a person you know, recognize, and are, and expect a call from. Okay. And so I never, ever answer my phone unless I know who's calling. Okay. And so you have, 
historically just if the phone rings, you answer it? Uh, yes, I don't get that many calls, and so yes, I do. Well, now you're going to talk to fewer people, right? <laughs> I guess so. And that will really help. And okay. you can even put on your voicemail something to the effect, if you were calling for blah, 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 I have no idea where where that individual is or what his phone number is. So they hear that. Okay. And maybe That's they'll go idea. away. Okay. Maybe they won't, but at least <laughs> you should not be uh, revisiting what's going on with your ex by answering these calls and engaging anybody in conversation. Yes. And so okay. I, I hope that helps, and I wish there was an easier way to get the calls to stop. Sadly, there's not. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is our bargain site. And I'll tell you, great bargains to be a borrower right now and abysmal situations if you are a saver. And that's the irony of that is that people are saving money in amounts that people haven't done and percents of their pay people have not done in many, many, many generations, maybe going all the way back to the 1930s. And so as you're saving more, what you can earn on it is going down because the Federal Reserve, in order to rescue the U.S. economy, has manipulated down the interest rates it controls to around zero, and that is having a spinoff indirect effect on what you can earn on savings. One of the oddest things, like if I look at the online banks, what you can earn on savings accounts where the interest rate can change every day is now higher in many cases than what you can earn on a CD. That's because the online banks figure that interest rates are going to go down enough from here that they have cut what they'll pay on CDs substantially. Having said that, I know this is going to sound like I've lost my mind, but it's probably better for you to buy with money you know you're not going to need for a while CDs from one of the online banks, even if they're paying a whisker lower than what you can earn on simple savings, because the simple savings accounts, I expect the rates to continue to drop and end up significantly lower than what you can get on a one-year CD right now, which is about 1.5% with the online banks. Now, to give you an idea how much rates have fallen, for undergraduate college students, the interest rate on federal loans this fall is likely to be around 2.75%. They're set on a formula where you can pretty much predict where they're going to end up. And that formula is based on uh, the sale of U.S. Treasuries every spring. And so 2.75 looks like it's going to be the rate, which is a huge decline. Federal students in graduate school are likely to see rates about 4.3, 4.25, 4.35, somewhere in there, which is the best I ever recall for either category of loans. 
And for PLUS loans that parents take out, the rates are going to be just a little over 5%. Again, likely the lowest those have ever been. Jonathan joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Thanks for taking my call today, Clark. Certainly, Jonathan. What's going on with you? Um, I just wanted to make sure that I'm saving properly for my retirement down the road, and I want to make sure I'm starting you know, at the proper time to have the correct amount of money down the road. So I wanted to get some advice on something. What age would you like to bag work? Uh, hopefully 55. But, I mean, All it might right. Be 50. <laughs> yeah. 55 sounds great. Yep, I don't. I don't want to work a day longer than I have to. So I'm planning on hopefully paying my house off before that and just um, going and doing what I want to do after that. Well, that is great. So what kind of things are you doing right now to hit that target of 55? Uh, well, right now, um, I'm fortunate to work for a company that does still offer a pension. So that's great. Um, and then I'm also doing 10% in my company 401k. They don't match anything since we have the pension. But uh, I was wondering, I've been hearing you talk a lot about Roth, so if I should redirect some of this money to a Roth instead of putting so much in a 401k, because you know, I'm not going to have any already taxed money when I retire at this right. rate. All right, I'm going to flip you out. If you want to retire at age 55, uh-huh. I don't want you to rearrange money from the 401k into a Roth. I want you to, in addition, yeah, in addition okay. to doing that 10% in the 401k, I want mm-hmm. you to do the Roth because okay. if if your goal is to retire roughly 12 years younger than people are targeted to retire now, mm-hmm. then it means you've got to cover those 12 additional years with funds okay. you have that, because uh, let's take your pension. You probably yep. can take it at age 55 from your employer. Yep. But mm-hmm. the benefit they'll give you versus taking it at age 65 usually will be 40% less. Okay. So you have to cover that 40% less, not just for those 10 years. You for everyone to, after that. Right. Yeah, so, okay. okay, I got you. So if, if that's a serious goal, uh-huh. you, you need to really look at how much more you can save every month. Okay. And um, I would want you, I you know, to ask you to go from saving 10% of your pay to suddenly put in six grand into a Roth, that's got to be a gradual thing. You know, you're not going to yeah. be able, based on lifestyle and the expenses you have, whatever commitments you have for, you mentioned housing. Do you have kids? Yep. Nope, no kids yet. No kids. And no. I'm not sure. I mean, I possibly might not. You know, I don't know. It just depends on, you know, how life goes. But Okay. So if you don't have kids, then maybe I shouldn't be so easy on you <laughs> putting the six grand <laughs> into the Roth. Yeah, I mean, I could. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I just have to, you know, change certain stuff, but it's nothing major. You know, I mean, it'd just be, you know, live a little less, you know, frugal, you know. Yeah. So I would say that would be the biggest change I'd make. And did you okay. notice the first question I asked you? Just that you were going to turn, flip me upside down? No, yeah. the first question I asked you is, what was your goal? When did you want to bag oh, work? Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't think that through first, what are you trying to accomplish? Then uh-huh. everything is, oh, well, it would be nice if I did this. But in your case, it's not, it would be nice. It's what you got to do if yep. that's what you want to get to. And my guide to opening Roth IRAs, 
Mm -hmm. Go look at it. I bet you 12 minutes from you and me hanging up, you can Uh have already opened your Roth, decided what you were going to invest in, and started putting money in it. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Don't put off getting it done. Let's just get it done. Yep, just do it. No time better than now. Exactly. So go for it. And I expect to hear from you if I'm still living when you turn 55. (laughs) That you are are living that life you want to live. Nick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nick. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. You are someone who is bleeding edge on how you want to do your banking, aren't you? Right. So currently, my wife and I have our funds with our local credit union. And in listening to the show and with some of our own experiences, um, we've heard you talk about refinancing some of our other pro- our loans and student loans with SoFi. Uh, but I was going through their website the other day and saw that they are advertising a SoFi money account, which they're saying is a hybrid checkings and savings account. So my question is, how does this differ from say, our current uh, credit union checking account that we have. We have a, a separate savings account and a high-yield savings currently. And does it lend the same sort of protections that, you know, a regular bank or credit union would, would give? Yeah, so the SoFi money account is a very well-thought account. And the idea of it is it's kind of like savings and checking in one. And okay. it is... It is a very, very clever way to handle it because they're trying, what they're trying to do is the money that they then lend out to people for the loans they're refinancing, they want to have a steady source of money for that. And even though they would be paying you more interest than you're used to getting, for them, it's a lower cost of funds than they can get elsewhere. And so... I'm trying to remember, they're FDIC insured, right? As far as what I can see online, yes. Yeah, I'm looking. Now, there the is cash a... balance is swept to one or more program banks where it earns a variable rate of interest and is eligible for FDIC insurance. Okay, so what they're doing is they, they are acting as kind of like the front person, and behind the scenes, they're taking your money, and every night they're putting it into an FDIC insured bank. So even though they are not FDIC insured, your money is. Okay. So I didn't know if that was something that happened immediately or if that was something that it took a period of time. So say, you know, you had a... You mean, would there be any exposure if SoFi went bust? No, not so much that. But if somebody, say, was able to uh, steal your identity or, you know, get your account information, um, how... Would there be a lapse in time of when your funds were covered from the time that they were placed into the account? Not any different than I wouldn't suspect with any other account. Okay. I wouldn't worry about that. Very good. Yeah. I mean, otherwise they've got they're advertising no fees and and you know. Yeah, and you can see that like they're, you can see the per, crowd they're going after with some of the language they use, the very unbank kind of language and. <laughs> <laughs> and, their, and their desire to get you as a customer. I, I love this kind of stuff where, uh, where the online banks are just drawing such a sharp distinction with the traditional way banking has been done in the United States, which is where the bankers get up every morning 
with the one goal of seeing how much money they can extract from their customers every day. So. Of course, yeah, and it's, you know, just trying to see if there's a, a little bit of a way to make our money go further for us, that's all. So. And this definitely is that, and it is a, a combo account of essentially checking and savings in one, and I, I love the innovation involved with what SoFi is doing with SoFi Money and what other innovators are doing. And the most important consideration, and this just has emerged as a big scandal in Britain, which is going through the same kind of innovations as we're going through, people were putting money in an account that they did not realize was not in the equivalent that the British have of FDIC, and everybody got wiped out. Oh, and so the, the thing that I did immediately when you asked about this, I scrolled down to the legal disclosures to see if, in fact, your money was FDIC insured, which is the thing I want to always make sure of for you and you should for yourself anytime you look at an alternative way to do your banking. And have Definitely they treated you well on your student loans? Everything has been easy as far as repayment. We've actually been making additional payments with that, and you know we haven't had any problems there. We've just been trying to knock them out as kind of quick as we can there, and and they've been good to us so far. Well, that is good news, and I can't wait for you for that day when you don't owe a single penny on that student loan debt. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Matthew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matthew. Hello, Clark. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm traveling today. Do we have a good connection? We have a fantastic connection. You paid your cell phone bill today. Oh, yeah. Great. Thanks. So Clark, you, thanks you're really curious about doing something for others. Tell me about it. Well, Clark, we have a real estate sales company, and we have an active property management department, and we advocate for home ownership. Uh, most in most instances for our tenants. And you've talked about how there's a few more different ways now where they can actually use their rent payments to help to boost their credit. And, and, and maybe there's some other bills that aren't getting recorded on credit in the past that maybe uh, can be recorded now to, to help people. And uh, I think that's where people are having trouble. A lot of them fall a little bit short because of marginal credit being able to, to own a home and i'd like to help them if i can all right so this is a problem for so many renters is that the traditional scoring models the uh fico scoring models do not account for how people pay 
rent, utility bills, cell phone bills, so many things. And so it's like it, they never happened as far as the traditional scoring models work. The good news is there's a big push with FICO and with their competitors to have what they call expanded credit scores that actually will include things like rent and how you pay regular bills and be able to generate what they believe is an accurate reading of how someone would handle credit without having any real depth of traditional credit. But that's an aspirational thing. So now there are, gosh, a lot of services that will report your rent payments to credit bureaus. And the most comprehensive list I've seen of the organizations was done in a NerdWallet story. Have you ever heard of NerdWallet? I have not. So NerdWallet does uh, very similar things to what we do on Clark.com. And this is something they have written about that we have not covered, which is how to use these rent reporting services to have it appear on your credit report. And there are, uh, I think there are eight of them that they list, and some of them charge very high fees in order to have rent reflected as part of a credit report. Others offer uh, the service for free or at very low cost. So you can, uh, you could, instead of you recommending one, I think it's better so that nobody says, you told me to do this company and this didn't do anything for me, that instead you refer them to a list and let them make a choice. Okay, I will get the list from NerdWallet and, uh, and pass that along. And the headline of the article is how to report rent to credit bureaus, which is a pretty simple thing. And uh, the people who you're looking at one other thing I've recommended in the past is in much of the country now, there are these special programs that are often funded by some form of tax-exempt bond, where the way you qualify for a mortgage is very different than a traditional way. The mortgages usually are a bit below market rate. They're specifically geared towards people potentially of lower income or lower credit scores. And if you go to HUD.gov, you can find a list of various agencies that have programs available, hopefully in your area, where people can qualify for a non-traditional mortgage without traditional factors being part of the decision. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.